0: Readings today comes from Zechariah chapter 12 verse 1 through to 14 verse 9 and if you grabbed a church Bible on the way in you'll find that on page 1487 otherwise the words will appear on the screen. A prophecy, the word of the Lord concerning Israel, the Lord who stretches out the heavens who lays the foundation of the earth and who forms the human spirit within a person, declares, "'I am going to make Jerusalem a cup "'that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. "'Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. "'On that day, when all the nations of the earth "'are gathered against her, "'I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock "'for all the nations. "'All who try to move it will injure themselves.'" On that day, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness, declares the Lord. I will keep a watchful eye over Judah, but I will blind all the horses of the nations. When the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, the people of Jerusalem are strong because the Lord Almighty is their God. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a brazier in a woodpile, like a flaming torch among sheaves. They will consume all the surrounding peoples right and left, but Jerusalem will remain intact in her place. The Lord will save the dwellings of Judah first, so that the honour of the house of David and of Jerusalem's inhabitants may not be greater than that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them will be like David, and the house of David will be like God like the angel of the Lord going before them. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be as great as the weeping of Hadad-Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. The The land will mourn each clan by itself, with their wives by themselves, the clan of the house of David and their wives, the clan of the house of Nathan and their wives, the clan of the house of Levi and their wives, the clan of Shimei and their wives, and all the rest of the clans and their wives." On that day, a foundation will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. On that day, I will banish the names of the idols from the land, and they will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. I will remove both the prophets and the spirit of impurity from the land. And if anybody still prophesies, their father and mother to whom they were born will say to them, You must die because you have told lies in the Lord's name. Then their own parents will stab the one who prophesies. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of their prophetic vision. They will not put on a a prophet's garment of hair in order to deceive. Every prophet will say, I am not a prophet. I am a farmer. The land has been my livelihood since my youth. If someone asks, what are these wounds on your body? They will answer, the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people and they will say, the Lord is our God. A day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls. I will gather all the nations of Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be neither sunlight nor cold frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord, with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea, in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name, the only name.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you, Anne. And I think we need to pray. <laughs> we pray with me? Father in heaven, we do not pretend that what we've read is easy to understand, uh, but we know it speaks of really important things. And so we ask, Father, that you'd help us um, to listen well to your word and please, by your spirit, open our minds and our hearts to understand and see where we fit within this tapestry, that of Zechariah that he's laid out before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome, and uh, can I just say once again, if I don't know you, um, I'd love to meet you and welcome you personally. My name's Chris, I'm the pastor here. When I say the word Christmas, different words come to mind. Let's play word association. Christmas. Jesus. Christmas. Tree. Christmas. Pool, (laughs) bauble. Maybe I thought you went to the pool, but um, baubles, but not baubles in pools. All right. But the phrase that most never comes to mind is Christmas, the end of the world. But they go together. Of course, we may not put Christmas and the end of the world together, but God, through Zechariah, his prophet, brings them together. Because that's where the Lord's first coming leads us. And the theme of these last chapters of Zechariah is the Lord shall come. Sixteen times in chapters 12 and 13 alone, the day of the Lord's coming is mentioned. Now, much of what was prophesied to happen back then has already happened. But much of what was prophesied is still to happen when the Lord comes again. Now, if on the cusp of New Year's Eve when we naturally... Expect things to just keep rolling on, as they always have. Maybe we think of talk of Christ's coming, the Lord's coming, the end of the world, as a bit fanciful. But why why would that be? Zechariah prophesied Christ's first coming hundreds of years before it happened, and it happened. Why would we think his second coming won't also happen? So, we dive into Zechariah, but it's a bit tricky, isn't it? Did you understand everything that was read? (laughs) It was hard, wasn't it? Apocalyptic imagery is difficult. To get a handle on it, I want you to imagine that all of the aspects of the Lord's coming are woven together in one huge tapestry with one image leading into the next. If you were to stand back, you'd see the Lord's coming in its entirety, including all that Zechariah prophesied and then all the Gospels, tell us about the first coming and then what is yet to happen on the second coming. But if you were to move closer to the tapestry, you'd see different scenes in more detail. And if you came even closer, you'd notice different threads running through which weave the whole tapestry together. Those threads are the themes that I've listed on your outline. Uh, Threads or themes which are predicted... With some showing themselves in Christ's first coming, others at his second, others come out in both. So, as we look at the threads, we'll do so in three steps, which are also listed on your outline. First, the Lord shall come, summarizing Zechariah's prophecy of all that will happen from these final chapters. Secondly, the Lord came, looking at those parts of Zechariah's prophecy fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. And third, the Lord will come, looking at the parts still to be fulfilled at the Lord's second coming. Okay, but first we have the full tapestry of Zechariah's prophecy, the Lord shall come. Two takes, if you like, are presented on the last day. Chapters 12 and 13 describe how the Lord will come and restore his people. And then chapter 14 is the second take and describes what the Lord will do with the other nations opposed to him. So... What is God's plan to restore his people through his coming? Well, in the first step, the first thread in God's coming to restore his people is to put an end to their enemies. And what's depicted is a great final battle fought outside Jerusalem, fought by the Lord for his people. And yet he's presented as the creator, the Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundations of the earth and who forms the spirit of man within him. That tells us that whatever destruction is described, that destruction is necessary for his creative work. You know, to renovate a house, you have to pull something down in order to rebuild, don't you? Well, here the pulling down involves fighting against those who are against the Lord's people and at the same time keeping a watchful eye over that part that he wants to preserve, his people, and even even involving them in the battle. Notice the initiative is all of God's. I will make, I will strike, I will keep, I will make, the Lord will save, the Lord will shield. This vision is about what the Lord God is going to do and only incidentally about what we are going to do. Verse 9 is the summary of chapter 12. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem and attack his people. So here's the first thread and it's a dominant thread that the Lord that is a God who fights for his people, just as he did against Egypt in the Exodus, just as he did against the Syrian invaders in the time of Elisha the prophet, just as he did against the Assyrian army in the time of Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet. The Lord fights to save his people from their enemies, but this time it's final. He's not fighting one nation, but all the nations that fight against his people. It's the first and necessary step to God restoring his people. Ending the enemies. But of course, there's more to restoration than pulling down. There's more to restoration than dealing with external enemies, like nations with armies. There's the internal enemies as well. Our hard hearts, for example. So the second step in God restoring his people, if you like the second thread of the tapestry, is the Lord coming to mend the hearts of his people. How does the Lord change someone's heart? Verse 10 I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Grace, the kindness of God seen in his people. It will be evident in his people. And supplication, prayerfulness. These are the hallmarks of a heart that has been changed. How is God going to bring it about? Verse 11. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. And the word pierced describes a death wound from a sword or a spear. They will look on me the one they have pierced and mourn for him. And that's how the change of heart will happen. And who in Zechariah is this one who is pierced? It's the Lord who's speaking. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. I am the one they're going to pierce. How could that be possible? How could the Lord be pierced? Verse 10 says their mourning will be as for an only child, their bitter grieving like the grief over a firstborn child only son, firstborn child. Here is a prophecy 520 years before God's only son was born into the world, that when the Lord would come he would be pierced through and it would change the heart of all of God's people. Now of course remorse is good. But it's useless if God decides to hold sin against us. So there's a third thread that runs through the tapestry of the Lord's coming, and that is the Lord removing the sin. Chapter 13. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sin. Now, the thing about a fountain is that, ideally, it should never run dry, right? A fountain that works should never run dry. Here is a fountain that doesn't run dry, that cleanses from our sin. This is provided by God at God's initiative. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have access to such a fountain? Can you recall maybe a time in your life where you felt genuine remorse over something you've done? Not just guilt, but deep remorse. You know, the people that were hurt, how what you did debased you how it dishonored God, your God, and the longing you felt to have all the grubbiness of that dirty stain washed off and not not there, not clinging to you. If you can, you you know how wonderful it would be to have a a fountain that could always wash you clean. Well, through Zechariah, God promises when he comes, there will be such a fountain to wash you clean of your sin. And there we might stop, but the Lord has another final step, and that's to refine and renew his people through a period of suffering during which they are tested and refined. The trigger for this happening comes in the announcement in chapter 13, verse 7. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. So when the shepherd, the ruler of God's people, is struck, God's people will go through a period of testing and refining through being scattered. Okay, so which shepherd? Zechariah's told us already three weeks ago, we heard of a high priest named Joshua, a ruler, a branch in David's family tree. From chapter 9, he is the king who comes riding on a donkey. From chapter 12, verse 10, the Lord himself, the one who is pierced. And that striking of the shepherd will trigger a testing and refinement of the people of God where a large proportion will perish but God says those who survive will call on his name and he will answer answer them i will say they are my people and they will say the lord god is our god okay well that's chapters 12 and 13 that is one take on what will happen when the lord comes he will restore his people and involved in that are four threads. He will end the enemies. He will mend the hearts. He will remove the sin. He will refine and renew the people. What of the rest of the people in the world? What of the nations? Well, now we get to chapter 14, and that's a second take on the Lord's coming, and where he says that he will reign over the whole earth. So first, the last battle of chapter 12 is now replayed. The Lord gathers the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it, causing God's people to suffer. But then, verse 3, the Lord will go out and he will fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. So there's a replay of what happens, but this time there's a difference. And here's where some new threads come out in the tapestry. In verse 4, the Lord says that he himself will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, with half of the mountain moving north and half of it moving south, forming a great valley, a highway of escape for God's people. This is like the waters of the Red Sea separating at the time of the Exodus to form a a highway of escape from the oncoming Egyptians. The Lord says, if you flee by this road, then I will come with all my holy ones. And what follows lastly Will be a recreation. Verse 6 As when the world was made, this day will be a day without light and darkness, a unique day. And just as living water flowed from the Garden of Eden to water the whole earth, so verse 8 On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. So it's not really the end of the world, it's just the end of the world as we know it in the present, because on that last day will be a new creation. And then verse 9 The Lord will be king over the whole earth, and on that day, will be one Lord and his name, the only name. So that's chapter 14. So standing back and looking at chapters 12 and 14, Zechariah has promised a massive tapestry of what will happen when the Lord will come. He will restore his people. He will reign over the whole earth. Now, of course, we live after the Lord came the first time, don't we? Which means that having stood back to see the big picture... Now we can step in a bit to the detail of the Lord's first coming in Jesus Christ. And so some of the threads of Zechariah's prophecy come out as we look at the scenes in Jesus' life. If we fast forward from Jesus' birth to the night before Jesus dies, in Mark 14, Jesus predicts a time of testing to come upon his disciples. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, and then he quotes Zechariah 14, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. At that time, Peter protested. Even if everyone else falls away, he wouldn't. But not even Peter could stop denying Jesus three times before the sun came up. Here is the thread of refinement and renewal. What else? Well, we know what happened. After the disciples scattered, Jesus was taken out and crucified. And then to make sure he was dead, John says, chapter 19, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. That's the fountain of cleansing, you see. The blood of a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. The fountain of Zechariah, described in uh, William Cowper's great hymn, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. This is the thread of sin being removed. What of hearts being mended? After Jesus had breathed his last, when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and they went away, mourning the one they had pierced and then 50 years later on the 50 days later sorry on the feast of pentecost when Peter stood up and told them of their sin in crucifying the one that God had made Lord and Christ what do we read they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins this is the thread of God mending the heart I want to ask you do you mourn over the one you have pierced. You think I didn't pierce him? That's an unfair question. Well, strictly speaking, yes, only one Roman soldier pierced him, didn't he? But Zechariah prophesied that all of God's people would mourn over the one that they have pierced. We think, hang on, it wasn't me. I wasn't even alive then. (laughs) I wasn't the one in the crowd shouting crucify. But God tells us, you know, Jesus was sent to the cross to pay for our sins as well. So that it was our sins that carried him there. Meaning that our sins, the sins you did yesterday, the sins you'll do today and tomorrow. They are the sins that carried him to the cross. We're responsible for the horrific death of the sinless son of God. Just as much as the people back then. When that hits you, that our sin has a price and that God in Christ paid it and it was a horrific price, then you mourn over the one you've pierced. As we must. Why must we be cut to the heart and have our hearts mended? It's because of what Jesus told his disciples that the Lord would come and end his enemies in the great final battle. Jesus spoke about this in a language which brought together his own death and the destruction of Jerusalem's two events, which have happened, and then his second coming in judgment. What hope do God's people have as a way of escape? Zechariah spoke of a highway of escape formed when the Lord stood on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, the place of judgment, and the Mount of Olives being split in two from east to west forming a highway of escape from the judgment coming on Jerusalem. You know, in Mark 11, Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives and he urged his disciples to have faith because if anyone said to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and didn't doubt, but believed in his heart that it would happen, it would be done for him, even the forgiveness of sins. And we think, well, why haven't we seen any mountains flying through the air? It's because Jesus was speaking Zechariah talk of an exodus escape he wasn't speaking about any mountain no he said if anyone says that this mountain meaning the mountain he was standing on the mount of olives east of jerusalem that's the exodus escape of Zechariah 14 and when judgment falls the point is have faith in god god will provide out a way of escape through the forgiveness won by christ himself So looking at the Lord's first coming, many of the threads of Zechariah's prophecy come together. They're fulfilled in Christ. But of course, Christ himself points us forward to his second coming, to what will happen when the Lord will come again, where we see all of the threads, the remaining threads now woven together. The book of Revelation describes that day, chapter 1, verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. Why will they mourn? Because they will realize that the one they delighted to pierce is the Lord Almighty himself. And now the time is up. The last battle is at hand. And Jesus the Lord has come to fight against the nations in the final confrontation. John says in Revelation 19, With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. He's dressed in a robe dripped in blood. His name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the Lord God Almighty. And the way out, the exodus escape, is found in the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his death for us. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. He isn't just the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the firstborn from among the dead. He is Him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by His blood. He is the highway of escape. And there's the last thread Zechariah's picture of a recreated world with a river flowing from Jerusalem, now bringing healing to the nations without light or darkness. You see, with the Lord's coming, the Bible ends. And with this final thread of recreation, it's wonderful. and his servants will serve them. They will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. That is the last picture in the tapestry of the Lord's coming laid out for us. It's a wonderful picture. We are urged to mourn over our sin, to have faith in God, who who will move mountains to provide a highway of escape. And he's done it, friends. He's done it. The Lord has done it when he came, when the shepherd was struck, when the Lord himself was pierced. And so when we look on him, we see a fountain of cleansing provided in his blood, putting us on the side of the Lord, At the time of the battle to come, let's play a game called Zachariah Says. Zachariah says, The Lord shall come. What should you do? Beat your breast and mourn over your sin. Put your hands together and put your trust in God. Hands out to be cleansed. Zechariah says, the Lord has come. What should you do? Put your hands in the air and praise God because he has come. The king, gentle and having salvation, riding on a donkey. He has come to be pierced for you. Zechariah says, the Lord will come. What should you do? Lift your hands in the air and praise God because he will come to fight for you. Beat your breast and mourn over your sin. Hands together and put your trust in God. Hands out to be cleansed. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you that so many aspects of Zechariah's great picture of the last day have already come true in Christ. And we know therefore that what remains will come. And so, Father, help us to be the people you want us to be, to look forward to that day, to trust you, to deeply mourn over our sin, but to come to Christ, the one who is pierced, to be cleansed. May we be responsive to you and to the prophecy of Zechariah, which is your word, in Jesus' name.